You're listening to Fueled, a Fencer Maker podcast, and I'm your host, Marina Saad. Hi, I'm Marina. I'm an engineer intern at Fencer Maker, and we're here to interview Dustin Gidgery for Engineers Week. Dustin Gidgery is a licensed professional engineer in Louisiana with extensive expertise in civil engineering and construction management. Dustin began his career with Fenster Maker in December of 2012 as a construction inspector. In this role, Dustin collaborated closely with contractors and engineers in the field, ensuring projects adhered to plans and specifications. Evolving within the company, Dustin transitioned into the role of a CAD technician, where he collaborated with engineers and surveyors to generate construction plans, survey plats, and project exhibits. With a solid foundation in civil engineering, he furthered his career as a project engineer, shouldering responsibilities for construction administration. After over a decade of involvement with civil engineering projects, Dustin achieved his professional engineering license in late June 2023. So all that said, I'm excited to be here with you for Engineers Week, a fun opportunity to get to know you a bit better. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Happy to be here. You ready to dive in? Let's do it. So let's start with the first question. What sparked the initial interest to pursue civil engineering? Was it a particular experience, a fascination with a specific aspect of the field, or perhaps an aha moment where you realized you wanted to do this? So um, as anybody knows, I kind of started my engineering career later on in life. I think about a few different situations where I guess engineering was kind of brought to my attention. Uh, I remember when I was younger, probably high school age, working with my dad in New Orleans, driving underneath the overpasses and stuff like that. He, uh, he mentioned to me, he's like, man, wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to design some of these you know, bridges and all? I was like, eh, you know, maybe, you know, but never, never really kind of took to it, you know, but I think he always knew I had like a, a, a technical mind and was good in the math and sciences and stuff like that. Um, but I think what really led me to be an engineer was more, more about opportunity. Um, when I was looking to uh, start a family and work from home or work closer to home, um, I ended up starting, I worked at Fenstermaker. So this was really my first experience with civil engineering. Um, I had a lot of construction background, building houses and, and stuff like that. So when I, and I did initially go to college, it was for architecture, you know, uh, which, you know, wanted to design the things instead of building the things. So uh, I think I did that for, for a couple years and um, it was a little bit uh, more, more art than I expected it to be, you know? So then I just kind of finished with a general studies degree and then I actually came to Fence to Maker, and then this is what you know exposed me to civil engineering. Um, and I say it's all about opportunity, you know, because obviously getting getting a job here, I was working on the sports complex as a civil as a um, as an inspector. And a, another situation that I remember is uh, Dax having lunch with me one day. He was the the uh, project manager on the project, uh, and I'd been with Fence to Maker for a few months at this point. Um, brought me out to lunch, started talking about, you know, my future with, with the company, you know. Um, so I think even Dax kind of saw something in me and he's like, hey, you ever, you ever thought about maybe, um, you know, working in the office, you know, and, you know, just kind of, you know, ask what that entailed and all. In order to like really, I guess, move on within the company, it required me to go back to school and get my civil engineering degree, which is what I decided to do after being with Finstermaker for uh, nine months. As an inspector, uh, I liked doing. I liked what I was doing as an inspector, but and I also saw, you know, the engineering role in, in it all, and I figured yeah, this is something I, I I can do, 
and uh, one of the best decisions I've ever made. So. Throughout your career, have you encountered projects that further sparked your passion for civil engineering? Can you tell us about one? I go back to my original project when I started as an a, a inspector. Um, again, just you know, this was my first experience with civil engineering, but uh, it was the Youngsville Sports Complex, phase one, and uh, it had various aspects of civil engineering, everything from, from drainage to water, sewer, pavement, your typical civil engineering stuff, but it also had you know, the additional things uh, like the, the turf on the uh, baseball fields, netting poles, foul poles, I mean, you name it, it was, it, was, it, was, uh, it encompassed all of, of civil engineering. So it was a very unique project. And uh, that's definitely one that really sparked my interest to, um, to pursue engineering. Now I'm working on phase two. So again, it's like, yes, you know, I, I'm here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm no longer the inspector. I'm more of the, you know, the engineer role in, in this one. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely um, excited to to work on the second phase of this because that's where that's where my career started was you know on, on phase one. It takes you back to. It like, definitely takes me back. Yeah, yeah it definitely takes where you me back. you started and now like you're here, you see the progress of your career. Yes. Yeah. I'm in, in, a, in a different role, but still handling lots of the lots of the same things from phase one to phase two. Can you describe your experience with large-scale projects? What role you've played and maybe some challenges you encountered? When it comes to large-scale projects, um, there, there's four main projects that I've worked on that, that I would consider large-scale, you know, and, and this is in complexity and dollar value. Uh, Youngsville Sports Complex, again, is one of the big, bigger uh, com complex projects that I've worked on. Um, at that point, phase one, I was yeah, an inspector. You know, and it was uh, it was a challenge. You know, it's um, you have several crews. You know, you have a crew doing drainage, another crew doing sewer. You know, you have electricians and all these people on site. Um, so that was definitely challenging, just being my first inspection job. You know, um, but you know, just kind of made it across the 70 acre site. You know, daily, you're checking on these crews, keeping up with them. But that that was my, my main experience with, with that project. Uh, other large scale projects, uh, roadway projects would be, you know, the Acadian Airport Access Road. Um, that was a, a, a pretty big project. Uh, Apollo Road and Scott, phase oh, that's one. A big one. Phase one and phase two. Um, both of them had different challenges. Uh, I think we were, I was kind of fortunate that both of them were basically in the middle of a field and there's not, you know, you know, yeah, there, there's less, less challenges uh, yeah. going through virgin territory. Um, but each one of them had, you know, tied into existing intersections, and that's when the, you know, the challenges, to me, when the challenges really start. Um, dealing with the existing utilities, uh, dealing with, uh, you know, maybe other permitting agencies, like uh, in, in this situation, DOT, for, at the beginning, DOTD owned the right-of-way um, at Dulles and, uh, and Rutabelle, so kind of coordinating with them anytime we wanted to just move a water line, you know, from, you know, two, three feet over, Kind of had to coordinate with them a little bit. Um, those are the types of things, you know, when it comes to a coordination standpoint. Uh, sometimes you run into unforeseen field conditions. You know, ran into, you know, a big trash pit that, we, that nobody knew about. So we had to, you know, a trash pit. Yeah, just had to you know, encounter it and you just move it, remove it all, and replace it with embankment. You know, those types of things that, you know, are. are our design engineers do a do a good job putting a set of plans together, but there's no way they can catch everything, you know. Uh, especially unforeseen situations. Maybe uh, there are certain constructability issues that weren't thought of. 
I think uh, most of the challenges that we deal with are just maybe the engineer sees it being constructed one way or you know, built one way and the contractor sees it done another way, you know? So that's a lot of, of what I deal with on, on a day-to-day -day basis. It's just those types of challenges, you know, dealing with the contractor and, and, and maybe, maybe seeing things in a, in a different way that uh, design engineers may not have. I've thought about well, it. you think that being an inspector first gives you like a little foot in the door on how you think about it in a different way Absolutely. than like your design yeah. engineers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen, you know, from a constructability standpoint, you know, um, uh, we, we kind of know a little bit more what's involved in sewer, for example. You know, sewers is typically a deep, deep installation. You know, you can be going 15 feet deep. Uh, or more in some, some situations, depending on the situation. But um, that takes a lot of room to do. It's like you can't just cut a hole down 15 foot deep and put a pipe in the ground and backfill oh, yeah. it. You know, this, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty expansive, the amount of room you need to do something like that. And, uh, you know, having that field experience definitely helps me when, when I'm talking with design engineers, like, hey, look, just think about, you're gonna need a, you know, 15, 20 foot easement just to put, the sewer in the ground, you know, it's like, oh, you can't just put it right up against it right away and say, you know, you're good. You know, there's so, I, I run into a lot of that, you know, also daily is talking with, you know, design engineers and kind of giving them some constructability tips and stuff like that, so. How do you prioritize safety on construction sites and can you provide an example of how you've implemented safety measures in the past? Yeah, so um, I think uh, Finstamaker does a really good job with, with, with prioritizing safety, you know, with our boss car program. It should be at the forefront of, of all of our uh, employees' minds, especially those that are out in the field. Um, so yeah, when it does come to safety, it's, it's an, initially it's all about a mindset. You know, you, you have to think about safety. You can't, you know, you can't uh, see somebody doing something wrong and just turn a blind eye to it. Uh, so I think that's, you know, that's the first safety measure is just, you know, having the right mindset. And I think, like I said, Fence Maker does a good job uh, of getting us uh, in that mindset. And I think a lot of contractors are, are the same. You know, we deal with contractors on a daily basis. Several contracting companies, that's, that's a priority for them too. So it makes our, our job a lot easier when it comes to keeping a job site safe. But other safety measures we take, obviously, you know, we have uh, PPE requirements. But what we do is we, we, we take what's you know, what, basically whatever the contractor requires. You know, if, if our vest and our shoes are, are fine, then that's, that's kind of what we go with. But contractors sometimes require hard hats, you know, depending on situation. So we'll throw on our hard hats, you know, so it, it all depends on, on the situation. But, you know, PPE is always a big uh, component to, to safety as well. Um, and then uh, I'm gonna use like our, our first aid kits. Uh, I've had two situations recently Oh that uh, just having a first first aid kit in, in a vehicle it has been has played a, a huge huge role in, in someone getting hurt and you know you know we have you know we typically have those in our vehicles for our, our inspectors or for our our workers but as soon as somebody hurts themselves we can we grab it and we can we can help them out yeah you know, that's always better well. to be prepared so, yeah. yeah um what about regulations like what about OSHA regulations and whatnot do you think those come in handy when keeping in safety yeah. requirements? Yeah, so that's that's another thing that, that um, we, we look for out in the field. Not so, I mean, I, I do look at it when I go out in the field, um, but our inspectors are, are are aware of you know certain OSHA, OSHA regulations, especially when it comes to open trenching and, and stuff like that. You know, you want to have proper shoring. You want to have your trenches stepped back. You want to have your you know your stockpile set off to the side. You know, there, there's there's a lot of different points that our inspectors look at, and uh, in determining whether a situation is safe or not. And uh, we always have the 
authority to, to, to stop a job. If we see a man down in the hole and we see a, 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 a safety hazard, then our, our guys are, you know, oh, I would hope they, so. they, can, they can speak up and say, hey, look, this doesn't look safe. Y'all need to stop. You need to regroup. You know, let, let's uh, come up with a different plan. You know, maybe get some more shoring out here, maybe move some material around, you know, that type of stuff. But, you know, we, we always kind of protect ourselves, but we, all, we always want to make sure that, you know, the people we're working with are protected as well and, and being safe. You know, at, at the end of the day, everybody, we want everybody to go back home to their families and safety is always a, a top priority on the job site. How have drones been integrated into your construction projects and what specific benefits have you observed? Okay, yeah, so uh, we've, we've been using drones recently on a couple of our, our, our bigger projects. Um, at the ones I mentioned earlier, Acadiana Airport Access Road, Apollo Road uh, Phase 2, and uh, also on Youngsville Sports Complex Phase 2. Uh, the benefits, uh, we've seen the benefits at Fence to Maker. Um, I've been able to use the footage just to kind of keep up, up to date on the project, you know, kind of, kind of really see the overall picture. Our, our inspectors do a good job of giving us the, the details on what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, but a lot of times it's just that uh, field level view. And, you know, these drones allow us to get a, a bird's eye view and, and, and really see what's going on, especially on a project, you know, big in size, you know, whether it's a, a mile long roadway or a, you know, 70 acre site, whatever it may be, just to get an idea of all the different pieces that are coming together at the same time. Um, you know, if, if, I've, I've actually used it to, you know, uh, negotiate with contractors when it comes to certain quantities at the end of the month. You know, hey, you know, you said X amount of progress has been done, but looking at this, this footage here doesn't, doesn't necessarily seem that way. So um, we, we use it, you know, to our advantage and, you know, from, a, from in our CA, uh, standpoint, but um, also for our clients. Our clients have, have utilized the, the, the footage to keep the public informed of the progress on the projects. So I know Iberia Parish was, was grateful for, to have that footage for the Acadian Airport Access Road project and the city of Scott as well. Uh, we put out um, monthly videos um, uh, with, with the mayor and a lot of our footage was used in, in, those, uh, in those videos. So. Do you think that it also helps keep the contractor um, accountable for any damages that he may or may not have caused your, throughout the project as well? I mean, it, it can. It, it depends on uh, how often we're flying this and, and if, we, if we catch those situations, you know, because you got to think about it. You know, there's, you know, lots of work being done throughout a week and we're really only flying it maybe once a week, every other week, you know, just from, a, from an overall standpoint, you know, the progress is, project is making progress, but what you're going to see from a bird's eye view doesn't really change, you know, every day, you know, so that's why we kind of, we kind of schedule these things, you know, a week, uh, two weeks out, something like that, you know, just to, so we can actually see the, pro the, um, the progress, you know. Um, so it all depends on if, if we catch certain situations, if, if, if we have footage of, you know, whatever issue may have come up, you know, yeah, it could, it could, could help, you know. Could come in handy. Could come in handy. Maybe. But maybe, but <laughs> that's, I wouldn't say that's a, a, a priority or, or, or the reason we're doing these things. How has prefabricated or modular construction been applied to streamline your projects? And what were the results? Are there considerations or challenges unique to prefabricated or modular construction methods? Yeah, so um, when, when I think about precast or, or pre, prefabricated, really, um, our contractors use a lot of precast boxes. Uh, we use a lot of precast box culverts. And uh, recently, we've been doing some, uh, some conspan con structures. Um, and those have, have drastically um, 
sped up the project, you know. Um, so for, for a drainage structure, for example, you know, it, it may take the contractor uh, a week to pour an entire box. You know, you start with the floor, you know, you gotta make sure everything's dry, you start with the floor, then you, then you form a few walls, and it can take several different concrete pours. Um, but most contractors are electing to go precast. They just pop it in the ground, put your box and put your pipes in, and then and then ground it all in place. So it's a lot uh, a lot faster for the contractors. Uh, same thing goes with any 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 box culverts. You know, um, it's much easier to take these little sections and, and stab them together. Um, you know, rather than having to form it all up and then pour it. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely speeds up projects, especially the the, the bigger you know, box culverts and conspan structures. It makes uh, those go a lot faster. Uh, I think one of the challenges with, with either one of those is, is for the contractor, just, you know, they need bigger equipment, you know. Um, so if they're doing a concrete pour, there's really not a whole lot of equipment involved. You know, they can form everything up, you know, by hand. You might, might use some small equipment. Um, again, it takes a little bit longer, but uh, if they get a bigger piece of equipment, take a precast structure, you know, slap it in place and, and they can move on. You know, um, bigger box culverts, conspan structures, you start getting cranes and everything on site. So it's, then you gotta figure out, you know, where, where can we put a crane? We need to make sure we have level ground to, to put a crane to, and you know, where are you gonna stage all these, these you know, components, you know, and, and how are you gonna grab them? And it's, a, it's, a, it's more challenging on the contractor, you know, uh, and, and that aspect versus, you know, it's, it's a completely different challenge versus, you know, figuring out how you're going to get all the material on site, figuring out where you're going to put your, your equipment and install it versus, you know, how we're going to farm all this up and then, then get concrete trucks in, you know. So it's, it's, each of them have different challenges, but contractors um, typically choose to precast pre route. So. Do you think from a cost perspective that it comes into play, like it's cheaper to do precast or more expensive to do precast? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's cheaper to do. I mean, uh, contractors wouldn't, choose a more expensive option, I guess, you know. Um, I mean, most of our projects are designed, you know, bid-build, right? So the contractor has to provide a, a good competitive bid, you know? So what's the most cost-effective option would be to do a precast structure, you know? Um, cost-effective and it's gonna save them time on the project, you know? So, um, yeah, from a cost standpoint, I think you, you're a lot better off going with precast. And these, these um, these structures are actually built off-site, so it's it's a lot more. Uh, it's built in a more controlled environment, you know, in a you know a, a factory or you know a, a facility somewhere, you know, specializing in, in building these structures. So let them you know build a structure, and then it, then it's just a matter of coordinating and, and getting it on site. And then again, like I said, figuring out how how to get it installed and, and all that. So, but it, I think it's definitely more of a, a cost-effective thing to go precast. How do you stay updated on the latest advancements and best practices in civil engineering? Can you give an example on how you applied new knowledge to improve a project? Yeah, so um, what, I, what I do to stay updated is uh, attend seminars and lunch and learns. Uh, you know, now that I'm a newly licensed engineer, we have uh, prof professional development hours we have to keep track of. So you have to stay up, up to date on, on things that are going on in the en engineering industry. So uh, yeah, and I do that. Like I said, lunch and learns, uh, attend seminars. Haven't done any, any conferences at this point, but I'm sure that's something uh, I'll be doing in the future. Um, as far as, you know, I guess seminars that I've, I've, I've actually used in practice, um, one that I think about is uh, I did a, a seminar on joining concrete. Um, 
uh, a few months back. And uh, most rec recently, I had to kind of do a joint layout for a project. So kind of using what I learned at that seminar and brought it into, into real life. Yeah, so. That's pretty cool. Which project yeah. was that for? So yeah, it was Youngsville uh, Sports Complex Phase 2. Uh, we originally had a, a joint layout um, that we, we put together using six inch uh, thick pavement. Uh, so that the requirements on that were to have certain, certain um, spacings. And we actually dropped it down to four inches. So it actually it changed all the requirements, not, not the requirements, but it changed the, the joint spacing on it. So had to go through and, and relay all that stuff out, you know, using some of the stuff that I learned, you know, through this, this seminar. So. That's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. As a professional civil engineer, you've seen the impact of infrastructure on people's lives. Can you share a story that exemplifies how civil engineering has made a difference in improving the quality of life for our community? I, I keep referring to the, to the same projects, um, but you know, it, it's, it's nice to, to see that you, you've worked on these projects and you hear uh, people you know, that may not, may not even know you've, you've, you've been involved in a project just talk about you know, uh, how they u utilize that, that roadway or that, that complex on a daily basis. Um, you know, so Youngsville Sports Complex Phase 1, I remember being out there as an inspector, you know, watching it, you know, all the, the drainage and everything go in the ground, sewer, water. Um, and then years later, you know, you, you're talking with friends and their, their, their kids are playing ball at the, at the complex, you know. Uh, and, you know, just, just kind of hearing stuff like that, you know, um, we did, um, the, the baseball fields, soccer fields, and stuff like that, but the the uh, volleyball courts were added not long after, and I'm a I'm a volleyball player, so I, I'm I'm able to take advantage of, of some of the things that you know I guess that that first project kind of kind of started, so yeah, I mean you can see like you know, I guess that the, the quality of life improvement um, use, having having a complex like that, um, also uh, Apollo Road Phase One, you know. Uh, my, uh, I have some, some family that lives in the area, you know, so they knew I worked on the project, so they, they were constantly asking me, hey, when's that project gonna be finished, when, you know? So just knowing that, you know, now that it's finished, I know my, I mean, my family's benefited from it, you know, now they have an alternate route to, to get to uh, the interstate. You know, I know the, the residents of Scott, you know, other people in Lafayette, you know, now they got an alternate route, you know, you're not stuck in the, in the middle of Lafayette on, you know, Ambassador or something like that. But uh, also just to see the, the development, you know, the, for the for the community of, of Scott, you know, along, along along Apollo Phase One with the the West Village and, and all the shopping centers that you see you pop, see popping up, you know, their their economies definitely benefited from it. So I think all the residents have, have benefited from it. Do you think that it would become more? There would be more development in that area since the Apollo Road roadway has been finished. Absolutely, yeah. I think that that was one of the uh, the main. Emphasis, uh, uh, emphasis to, to do the project was economic development was one, uh, drainage improvements was another, and uh, also to provide uh, you know, better, better traffic routes. What skills and qualities do you think are crucial for success in the civil engineering industry? Yeah, I think for uh, engineering, obviously, you need, you need to have some, some knowledge in maths and, and, and the sciences and stuff, but I think from a, a mindset standpoint, you, get, you have to have somewhat of a technical mindset. You know, you gotta be able to, question things, you know, um, not just see what's on the surface, but maybe go a little bit deeper. Um, you know, so a, a technical mind, something that somebody's gonna like ask questions and, and get into things a little bit more than, than I guess most people would is, is definitely a great quality. Um, communication, I think communication's a, a great quality to have in, in just about anything in life um, because you're dealing with so many different 
you know, people and components. And you know, when, when you're designing a project, you, you have to be able to communicate with other, other engineers, uh, whether it be you know people you work with or you know you may, may have to reach out to a, a mechanical engineer, or a structural engineer, you know, to, to kind of work on a project. So you need to have that communication. You need to have you need to communicate with the client, you know, and you know get their thoughts. What what do you want on this project, you know? Uh, and, and take their wants and, and actually put them into the project, uh, and also keeping them updated throughout construction. You know how things are going. Um, you also need to, from a con you know, construction administration standpoint, you need to communicate with a contractor. You know we don't always see eye to eye, but you have to be able to communicate with them to where you know it's it's not a you got to build a relationship to where it you can trust each other. You know and and there's not a, a whole lot of animosity between you. You, you just you don't want to have that type of relationship. So communication is is key in, in a, lot of, a lot of things we do. What advice would you give to aspiring engineers to find the same level of enthusiasm? It was a little bit, little bit different for me, you know. Um, I mean, I, again, I started a little bit later on in life and, you know, once I decided that this is what I wanted to do, I was gonna see it through, you know. And uh, again, uh, like I said earlier, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made, you know. So once I decided I was, I was gonna do it, you know, I, I just continued to do it, um, you know. I guess one thing that, that keeps me going, you know, is, uh, is I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm a very visual person, you know. I, I've been in construction for, you know, 20 plus years now with, with residential and civil engineering. And one thing I like about it is like, when you leave work at the end of the day, you can see there's progress being made. You know, you can see what, you know, whether it's, you know, framing of a house, you know, oh, we, we put up this wall today, you know, and then tomorrow we put up another, you know, 10 walls. And before you know it, you have a whole structure standing there that you actually built, you know, same thing with, with, with civil engineering is, you know, you see a road that gets built, you know, now it's, it's, it's on a much bigger scale because, you know, you started with a set of plans. Now you see a road get built and it's great to see that road being built. But like, once you see the everything else on outside of it coming together that you weren't you really weren't even involved in you just kind of you know almost just laid a foundation in there and for everything else to be developed around it so that's what keeps me going on to the last question okay. before we go i have to ask our closing question one posted to all our interviewed guests in the spirit of fueled our podcast name what fuels you in general in life in your career work family etc yeah so um, i would say the people you know, and it's it's a it's different levels of different layers of people. Uh, obviously, my family, you know, keeps me going. Keeps they're the the uh, the fuel, if you will, that that keeps me going. Um, my wife, in particular, you know, when I decided to go back to school at 32 years old or whatever, um, you know, she had to make a lot of sacrifices because we had started a family, and you know, there's a lot of sacrifices we built. We I was in school, and we were building a family at the same time, so. You know, uh, uh, lots of sacrifice, and, and uh, that's definitely something that, that keeps me going. Um, you know, the, the people I work here at Fenstermaker, you know, also fuel me. Um, we, have a, we have a good group of engineers, you know, that uh, we all, you know, we get along, we, we, uh, we work well together, you know. Um, so there's that, that, you know, working with these people on a daily basis is, is, is something that keeps me going as well. Um, and then the community, the people of the community, seeing the improvement to, to their lives that we're able to do, you know, it's, it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more than just, you know, seeing something that you put, that you designed, get built, and now you see it, but it's, it's 
seeing other people benefit benefit from it. You know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, just hearing about people using a, a ballpark or hearing about somebody say, "Man, I use Apollo Road," and you know, it, it cut five minutes off of travel time. You know, that's that's one thing. But you know, again, seeing everything else that gets built off of that one project. You know, so that's kind of what keeps me going is is the people that uh, not only help me get to where I'm at, but also benefit from from what I'm what I'm you know putting out there, basically. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us. I'm sure everybody learned, and I sure did learn a lot from you. I hope that I keep learning from you in the future and for the rest of my career. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you took the time to do this with us today. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me, I had fun. Mm -hmm.